All right, friends. Well, welcome back to Mike's podcast. It is good to have you all with us. I'm hanging out in my bunker here, and uh, we're going to take a little break from walking through Job to talk to my friend, Luke Norsworthy. How's it going, Luke? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. I feel like in some ways, like talking to me is uh, like the book of Job, you know, incarnate. Is it? Why Why is that? What What has your life been like that has made you the book of Job? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I, I prefer to function as like the idiot friends who like to give too much advice when they should really <laughs> just shut up. I mean, that's that's what I like to do. And uh, I, I hope to do that during this uh, next three hours on the podcast. Good. Yeah, I'm set up for three hours. You know, uh, you even identifying with the friends of Job is interesting because I immediately went to just assuming that you saw yourself as Job as the main character. Mm, yeah, no, I mean, I, I like to see myself as the center of every story and uh, the hero of every arc. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going to make an exception because I'm with you. And I know in comparison to you, I am at best a supporting actor in the great <laughs> story that is Mike. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. So um, you are the second guest on Mike's podcast. So you should feel really, really honored because um, uh, my first guest was my son, Isaac, because mm. we needed to talk about his quarantine stash. Yeah, that's. I, I had one until yesterday morning. I, I trimmed mine off. Why did Let you trim? Actually, let's talk about Isaac first, and then we'll talk okay. about the stash. I mean, this is your podcast, but I'm no, just no, no. You go. You're you're pro. You, when, when you name your son Isaac, are you thinking there's a chance I might have to sacrifice him? <laughs> How many times have you used that? Never. I've never. No? I've never used that joke That's before. Great. I would like to. Well yeah. done. Well I've got done. some Jacob material that I like to use about. You know, your name's Jacob means you're deceiver. I, you know, don't blame me. I'm not your. I'm. I'm not the one who named you that. Like I like to use that joke, but no, uh, Isaac, no, it's fresh, fresh material. Yeah. My nephew is named Jacob, and I'm pretty sure that my brother doesn't listen to this, so we can we can we can talk about the fact that he named his first son Jacob. And yeah, yeah that's that's just rough. So Isaac, you've never thought about sacrificing him. Uh, I mean, early on there were there's a few days that were pretty rough, but he's turned <laughs> into a good kid now. Yeah, that's good. It's and how how is his stash? His stash is coming along. I mean, it's kind of like um, creepy wannabe porn star stash is hmm. about where it's at. And he's got and about three hairs coming out of his chin that he that he refuses to mess with. Also, wow. Well, you you're kind of uh, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not blaming you, but what I'm saying is that you set a high bar for facial hair because you've got a robust beard that probably is creating some sort of inferiority complex in your son because he's trying to live up to what you are and I, I don't know i'm just i'm not trying to tell you how to parent but i feel like like it's it's a lot of pressure to live up to what you are well done. so let's get back to why'd you shave your stash because it doesn't look like yours it uh <laughs> it looks uh uh it is a little bit rudy in its complexion and so it is uh yeah i don't know it i um I, I, I like I, I shaved everything off, uh, the beard and all that was ready to go and took a video Sunday morning with my daughter, my youngest daughter. And I was like, hey, should I keep this or not? And she's like, yeah, you look great. And I was like, OK, I'm going to walk out the door. And then I looked at myself and I was like, man, I, uh, there was one time in uh, homiletics class when I was in, in, in school and uh, I accidentally used the word chick in a sermon. And my professor, a guy named Randy Harris, uh, yelled at me and said, how dare you defame the word of God by being unprepared? So, which was my excuse for using the word chick. And I just heard his voice. How dare you defame the word of God with that mustache? <laughs> oh, I like it. Well, we're a few minutes into this and, um, and 
well, let's like let's like talk about why we're talking to you because otherwise people are people are checking out because they don't want to hear about our facial they, hair. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. So you have a book that is being released. Like I'm going to try and get this podcast out pretty quick, and it will be either being released um, tomorrow or today, depending on on how quick we can get this thing I'm, out. And um, I wanted to get to talk to you because I actually like, believe it or not, I actually really respect you. I think that you're really thoughtful and smart. And um, even though you have a crappy sense of humor, you have interesting things to say. You know, that's uh, that's a turd sandwich. Like there was some nice stuff there. And then right in the middle, you just just dropped that one about my sense of humor, which uh, honestly, if I could switch everything and you said you have terrible things to say, but you're really funny. I would probably be more happy, um, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, I, uh, Luke, you and I, we met each other on a trip. Maybe it's been like a couple of years now, two years, maybe something, year and a half. Something That sounds about ago. right. That sounds we, about right. We were over in Israel and Palestine, and we were there with a group called Telos, doing incredible peacemaking work there. And um, And while we were there, we got to know each other a bit. And you had just released your first book, God Over Good. I did. And during that trip, pestered me the whole time to buy and read your book, which I felt guilted into. And so about halfway through the trip, I downloaded it on my Kindle and started reading it um, while we were in the Holy Land together. Yeah, Um, which is fitting because when you read the book, it feels like you're on holy ground. It felt like I was on holy ground. And um, I did, I actually really did appreciate a lot of what you had to bring in that book. And I'm really looking forward to people getting into this next book. So your new book is called befriending your monsters and tell us a little bit about like what's the premise behind what you're Mm -hmm. writing on in this book well we all know monsters are fake the idea of like a godzilla or you know some werewolf popping out of your forest to come get you like we all know those are fake but those fake monsters can often put the fur flesh and skin upon the very real fears that each and every one of us have The, the word monster in Latin, the, the Latin word from which we get monsters literally is the word warn. And so all along monsters, these fake monsters have been warnings. And I think if we learn how to listen to what God can use through these fears that we all have, is that they're warnings for something much deeper that's that, that's subterranean that we typically want to run away from and hide from. But my argument in the book is that if you learn how to befriend those, those are the very things that God can use to take you into the dark so that you can experience the light. Yeah, I like that. You've got a good pitch down. Well done on that. Yeah, I mean, I've it's it, it's a book. It's like you, you've been working on this for a long time. How and, long? I mean, before we get into some of the content of it, can I ask how long had this been like brewing in you? Like, how long was the process of getting this out of you? I sent uh, a copy to a, a mutual friend of ours, Sean Palmer. You know Sean, right? Yep, I know Sean. Uh, so Sean sent me a text and goes, "I think you sent me a rough draft of the this in 2014." Huh. And I was like, uh, wow, that you remember from 2014 when I was writing is impressive. But yeah, it, it literally has been uh, that long. I mean, the idea popped up before my first book and first book was like, well, maybe I go to this monster stuff. And I thought, no, I, I've got these you know, faith issues that are really, you know, I, I wouldn't say. Yeah, they were crippling. My faith was faltering. And so I had to write this first book. Because uh, it was what I had to deal with. I, I think, you know, all good writing comes out of conflict. Hemingway said uh, that like good art or good book is the human heart in conflict with itself. And so like I, I, I've had this monster stuff in the back burner for a long time. Uh, I had to write the first book and then this is the book that I had to write after. But um, okay. I, I think 
the thing about what what we do, and you know, as a pastor, you know, you spent years preaching where those seem like you preach them and they're done, and then you just kind of move on. Uh, this is one of those ideas that uh, you know, no pun intended, haunted me for a long time of like what's really lurking below the surface, and so it's it's been there for a long time. Yeah, it just kind of nags at you. <laughs> I do think, like, I love the idea that there are these things that are behind the thing that we're often ignoring. And you talk you talk about three different, like, things behind the things or three different fears of yep. comparison and more and success, right? Yep. true. Um, can you just give me a little, like, uh, summary of, like, what is the fear of comparison? What does that do to you? Yeah, I, I get all those from not just my lived experience, but Henry Nowen said something that really uh, concretized kind of these feelings that I was going through when he said that the three lies that we're all tempted to believe is I am what I have, I am what others say about me, and I am what I do. Yeah. And so those those three lies became kind of the ar- architecture underneath the the monster metaphor. And so the monster of more is, you know, I, I am what I have. The monster of success is I am what I do. And the monster of comparison is I am what others say about me. And comparison is like this idea that, which is so natural, like every one of us naturally needs something to help us navigate this perplexing thing of life. Because how do you really answer the question of how am I doing? Like when your son Isaac is trying to not get sacrificed by you, he has this this, uh, nascent beard that's appearing on his face. And he's going, you know what? I don't know if this is good or not. How, How old is Isaac now? He's 14. Or no, he's he just four- turned 15. <clears throat> okay, so both of us don't know how old he is. That's true. But he's 14 or 15. And so to figure out how good his mustache is for a 14, 15-year-old boy, what is he going to do? He's going to look at other 14 or 15-year-old boys because if he looks at his dad, he's going to hate himself. He can't live up to you right now. But what he does is he compares himself to the people around him because answering the question, how's your facial hair doing, is hard to answer on its own. In the same way, the more substantial things of life, they're hard to gauge. Like for me and you probably – when I started preaching, it was hard for me to determine how I'm doing as a preacher. Yeah. And so for me, the easiest thing to do is look at the person in front of me, like look at the person next to me. And when I started preaching, I, I preached this little country church for three years. And then I started preaching at this large interdenominational Bible study in West Texas in Abilene, Texas. And the guy before me was this six foot five Baptist guy who left to pastor a small Baptist church in Highland Village, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. And this guy made a huge impact in my life. I love the work that he did. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to replace him at this Bible study. I'm going to follow him. And so what he's doing, I feel like I need to be doing. Uh, the problem was that guy turned out to be Matt Chandler. And that small Baptist church in Highland Village, Texas is now the village, which is a church of that went from like 300 people or 100 people to you know 15,000. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I un, un, unwisely hitched my wagon to a horse that is much faster than I'll ever be. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you think that there's ever a point, like, how do you know, like, let's just keep going with preaching and, and people obviously aren't all preachers and they've got their own sort of thing, but how do you know if I'm not comparing myself to another preacher, how do I know if I'm doing a good job preaching? Yeah. Well, here's the thing about the monsters is that the thing that you look at is really what it's really about. And so I, I, I think comparison for me, comparison was a guy named Matt Chandler and he was really the prop in the story. It, okay. It's nothing about him personally. It has nothing to do with who he is or his character. I think nothing but the best of, uh, of him, but the prop has this thing that pulls us. It, it pulls me away from who God wants me to be. It pulls me away from my truer self. And so the way it pulled me is like, I felt like I had to be him. But if you move past the prop and the pull, there's actually a point that's underneath all that. And I think the point for comparison is to say, 
that this sliding scale of comparison, which comparison is always a sliding scale because you look down at one person and you look up to the next person and it leaves you with this sort of like sense of like being off balance because you're comparing yourself to something that's not stationary. It's not established. And so I think underneath the the pull of pulling you away from who God wants you to be by trying to make you be a poor version of someone else, the point of comparison is it says you need to hop off the sliding scale and find something that's established and secure that you find your identity in. And so every time I look to someone else to say, Luke, you're doing good and I'm well pleased in you. It's a reminder that the point of comparison is to stop and hear that still quiet voice that says, Luke, you are my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. How, like, at what point for you did you start to realize, like, this is eating at my life in this kind of way, where you could get to the point where you could look back and you could see the pattern in your own story where you could look back and say, like, oh, I've I've hitched my wagon to compare myself to Matt Chandler, and here's how it's sort of playing itself out. How, how did you get to this point of being able to be self-reflective enough to notice that, to own it, to sort of start seeing it play, how it was playing itself out in your life? Yeah, early on, I figured out like this is not working. Yeah, uh, there, there, it just it felt like, wrong, or like what? Well, was... no, like this, this. Well, I I couldn't live up to him. Like I wasn't sure. as good as him. Like just to be quite frank, like he's just more talented. I mean, I think he's one of the two most gifted communicators I've ever been around in my life. And I'm the other. Quickly, yes, you okay. and Matt Chandler. That's what you I was going to say. I didn't want to like boost your ego too much. I, I already said it. your beard was great. Didn't want to, you know. I, I feel like it's putting too much pressure on you to say that, but it's true. And early on, like I realized the feedback of everyone was like, um, we miss Matt. We miss Matt. We miss yeah. Matt. And so early on, I was like, oh, this is not going to work for me. Now, I didn't have, I, I'm 21 years old at the time. Like I didn't have the foundation of the maturity to understand really what was happening. And I would say it took much longer for me to, to become okay with not having to be as good or better or worse or whatever than someone else. It took, it took years from that. And it took this slow, steady, quiet process of spiritual formation to kind of let me figure out how to root myself in something more substantial than how I stack up to someone else. So yeah. I, there wasn't like one moment where all of a sudden it clicked. Like there sure. were plenty of little moments where it clicked that, oh, you aren't him. But it took uh, it took this long process. And I think that's a process of spiritual formation is that you show up and do these practices and you're not going to notice it immediately, but over time, you're eventually going to become a different person. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, well, I want to poke a little bit into like those practices and what they are before I get there. Uh, I kind of wanted to hang out in comparison because I was curious how you handle and respond to things. Now, I was for, for so I was I'd started this podcast and I'd asked people to put some reviews on iTunes and I went and looked it up and then. And then like your podcast showed up as one of the, by the way, Luke does a great podcast, Newsworthy with Norseworthy, interviews some fantastic people, very, very popular. You should all listen to it and download it. So your showed up as like, uh, you and Joel Osteen showed up as like related podcasts fitting, that you should listen fitting, to. Fitting, fitting pair. Yep, yeah. That's a so I click on yours and you know, you've got a ton more reviews and, uh, and I was just reading through a few of them. And one of the ones that pops up on the, the top essentially says like, Luke has these fantastic guests on and he, um, it, but his humor is so off putting that I have a hard time listening to it. Just stop trying to be funny, Luke, or something like that. Mm, and yeah, the whole thing. And so like one, like this thing rose up in me where I wanted to like write the guy a note and I wanted to say like, I think actually Luke's personality is a part of the reason that he's able to get these guests. And if he didn't have, like, maybe they wouldn't like, connect with him in the way that they do and you 
don't get to talk to these people. And maybe the reason you don't get to talk to them is because you don't have that kind of sense of humor. And like, I, I had this like thing where like, I just wanted to be like, Hey, jackass, let me tell you what I, <laughs> my podcast, I get to cuss if I want to. So, yeah. um, when you send in, in the role that you're in, both in ministry, where you're preaching, where you're traveling around preaching, where you're putting out a podcast that all kinds of people are listening to, you get a ton of critique, a ton of comparison, a ton of like, here's who I think you should be. And you're not that person. How, um, before we get into like the spiritual practices that have been helpful for you in forming this stuff, like what do you do with that stuff now being in a healthier place than maybe when you're 21? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say thanks for being a good friend. And uh, if someone left a comment like that on your podcast, I'd feel the same way. And that's just like what friends do. Like you just get each other's back. But if it was the criticism about you, you'd respond differently. You would, the journey you've been on to become who you are has enabled you to withstand those sort of criticisms. Cause I know you've gotten uh, obviously the, you know, the, the shape and the form of them are different, but you've gotten the same criticisms, like where people just, they don't connect to you. That's part of life. Um, and so, so early on, you know, Matt Chandler's a guy I compare myself to. And the, uh, the friend who wrote the foreword of this book is uh, Annie F. Downs, who has a podcast that is exponentially larger than mine. And <laughs> we become friends. I didn't really uh, know who she was. We met in real life. And then, like, uh, you know, she became part of our family to some, some degree. And, like, we, like our, our kids love her. And uh, then I realized, oh, my goodness, like, this is a person who's, like, had substantial success in every facet of work that I really care about doing. And it's better than mine. Like Mm. she's a a speaker that connects to people in ways that I don't feel like I do. Uh, You know, the podcast downloads, the, you know, the book sales, all that stuff is better than any sort of like concrete, objective stat about my work. And now it's just like, but I can, I can celebrate who she is. Like I, I know I have a different voice in a different lane. I'm doing different things than her and I'm okay with it. And so I can celebrate and cherish her success. And honestly, like the comparison I felt about Matt, I, I've never felt about Annie. Like it, it literally just hasn't been there. And it's not because, oh my gosh, I'm such a great person. Like there are plenty of things that are awful about me. Mike, you can just add those on after the podcast ends. But I feel like it's just like this subtle, slow work of God that I have tried to let myself listen more to what God says about me than even what I say about myself or others say about me. And so it able it, it gives you that that solid foundation so that when the world around you is wobbly, you still have stability. Yeah. Mike, I don't know if you, you take much yoga. You ever taken a yoga class, Mike? I've never taken a yoga class because Mm. I'm not a uh, 32 year old woman. Okay. Well, I feel like that's (laughs) real ageist right there. That's super ageist, super sexist. And I'm going to get a ton of crap for that. You should, you should. But you've just taught me that I don't care. You don't care. You don't need to care. Well, I, I took a class a couple of years ago and I was trying to like do this like one leg balancing thing and it was not working out for me. And the instructor, uh, Suzanne walks over to me and she goes, Luke, find your Driesti. And I was like, my, my, my what? Like that sounds like a drink or something that you get with a, you know, um, umbrella in it, which sounds great. <laughs> but, uh, I was like, what, what are you talking about? She goes, find, uh, find a spot on the ground or on the wall and just look at that. And when, before I was kind of wobbling around cause I was looking at myself trying to get my feet right and looking at, you know, where my hands were and where my hips were and all that. She says, find a stable spot. That's not going to move. It's not going to wobble. It's not going to, you know, falter it's stable. And once you find that stable spot, the entirety of your, 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 your body can kind of use that as a foundation. So no matter what happens to your body, you still have something stable to look at. And I think that's what 
if you want to call it quiet time, if you want to talk about spiritual disciplines or, you know, contemplation, whatever you want to use the terminology for, it has to be that stable spot that kind of roots you and grounds you so that people's perspective of you, people's affirmation of you, people's disrespect of you, like those things are going to move around. That's just life. But yet that's something that's stable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my experience has been that what the disciplines do in my life is start to make, um, one of the outcomes of it is that the reactions that I want to have start to over time become natural, normal. And so like what you're describing yeah. with, with yeah, Annie yeah. is, is like, you didn't have to consciously try to not compare yourself. It just is the reality of who you've become. And so who you've become That's is good. just naturally pouring out of you that it's like, um, I use the analogy when I was in high school, I played baseball mm-hmm. and my senior year, I was a terrible, I, I was having a terrible like slump where I was just grounding out all the time. And so I go to this batting coach and he ties one of my hands behind my back. Cause I okay. was like, when, when you're hitting, you want to pull with one hand and you're pulling through with, with one hand. Anyways, I was pushing with one hand. And so I was making my back go flat and he ties my hand behind my back and he makes me swing with one hand. So I was, practicing, pulling, 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 pulling. And his whole thing was, he's like, I want you to do this before every single game. Cause what you're doing is you're training your arm to pull and your other arm to not push. And you obviously, when you get in the game, you're not going to use that. You're not going to swing one handed, but you're, you're going to have trained yourself in a way where it's just going to become natural when you're up there and you have to react in the moment that you're going to react in the way that you're trained your body to react. Yeah. And it seems to me like that's what spiritual disciplines start to do for you. Yeah, like you, you don't think about having to. I'm not a baseball guy. I don't. I don't fully get the terminology here. But you don't have to think about that because it it's become muscle memory. Like it's you become you muscle just, memory. Yeah, you just do it now. Like because right. you put yourself in that like that swing. And I think it's exactly right. Like you don't think, uh, oh, you know, I shouldn't let Annie's success determine how I feel about feel about my own performance. Like it just it just happens. Right. So for you. It, in your sort of journey, and I know different things, di- my experience has been different spiritual disciplines are helpful for me at different times and have been helpful True. in different parts of my journey. And and they're just simply a tool that moves me towards who God has designed and created me to be, that moves me towards fruits yep. of the spirit, towards that sort of stuff, right? And so like when I get too locked into a to a tool, that tool starts to become a mm-hmm. tool. It's, a, it's an idol, right? Yep. But um, what, so... With having said all that, though, what has been helpful for you in in your journey of kind of processing, uncovering this stuff, and and being able to get to a point of health with it? What have been some of the helpful rhythms yeah. and disciplines for you? Contemplation has something that's uh, I would say comes naturally to me, but it's it's kind of how I'm wired. It's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, so talk to been... me about that because I'm having a lot of conversations with people lately who are wanting to like engage in that and will try it once or twice, and they sort of like flame out like talk to me a little bit about what yeah, the contemplative I, journeys look like for you i i'm kind of reticent to do that because i feel like i found yeah. something that works for me and i hate to prescribe it because i don't have okay. a, enough of a wealth of knowledge to say here are the different tracks and i'll tell you what i do yeah. but i don't want to prescribe this as like this is the one size fits all sure. solution i can tell you what works for me and i've kind of honed it to you know i want it to be based obviously i'm a christian and i'm connected to scripture and those are things that are like central to me and so the practice for me will often look like I'm going to read a psalm. I'm going to have a New Testament text I want to read. Uh, I'm going to have, uh, I like to use a prayer rope. Uh, yep. It's just like like prayer beads, but it's just like a, a simple cord. I that just has started on one of those. Yeah, and, and I don't yeah. like 
per se, like know exactly how you're supposed to use it. I know for me, like I have, and it's connected to the Lord's prayer as part of what I do as well. And so it's a lot of, and you know, music like instrumental music that, that uh, kind of fits the mood, like all those things like are part of like this practice that I do where, you know, it starts in scripture, leads to meditation. It goes to another text, more meditation, you know, Lord's prayer. Like these are, that's kind of how it works for one part of contemplation for me. Uh, you and I have talked about, um, this, uh, off mic before, but you know, I, I have this practice. I have a garage gym. I work out yeah. uh, in my garage. Uh, that's a, an important, I would say it's spiritual practice, but is a practice that is spiritually important to me. And at the end of my workout, I will put on, like I have a playlist of handful of different songs I'll pick from, and I'll spend five minutes on a yoga mat. Um, just kind of in a, in a time of, you know, being still and silent. Like there's obviously part of something with exercise that your body releases endorphins. And so there's always like this rush after you work out anyway. Right. And so trying to channel that and kind of direct it and it's time to just listen. And so I'm not like reading scripture. I'm not working prayer beads at that time, but it's an intentional, you know, four to five minute block of I'm going to be silent. I'm going to kind of listen. I'm going to be, you know, not just listening to my body, but I'm going to listen to, I feel like God is in that. So that's what contemplation looks like for me at this present time. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me how this thing, like you are not, whether it's about comparison or the, the more I am what I have, I am what I do. I know we've kind of hung out in comparison, but, um, you're not just trying to like, okay, don't compare myself to others. You're not like, try really hard to not define myself by what I do. Like, you're not just doing sort of like that base level behavior modification. It's like this Mm -hmm. other thing that seemingly has nothing to do with it over time has these sort of like larger implications underneath the surface. Would that be a fair assessment? Oh, that's 100% right. And that's why we, I, I, I like to use the language of the prop is that, a props there props easy to look it's naturally what your eyes can be drawn to but it's never been about that and it's in the same way like the story about jonah okay jonah gets swallowed by the whale it becomes a great kid story about a guy who gets eaten by a whale spit on a land it's you know it's a great illustration of the old uh precept that you can't keep a good man down <laughs> he threw him out anyway well, uh it, but the whale is simply a prop in the story like the real thing that consumed jonah's heart that had the most monstrous effect on him was his hatred for the ninevites okay and so the prop is the whale. The real pull is hatred of his heart. And the point of the story is that his heart and God's heart aren't aligned. And so the way that the light gets in in Jonah's story is that God says, here's the invitation. You can re, restructure your heart and let it be in line with my heart, or you can keep it as it is. But the light is going to get in by you dealing with the actual point of this. And it's not about the whale. It's really about the hatred in your heart. And obviously Jonah refuses that invitation, but it's not what you see. It's always what's underneath the surface. That's really what a monster is about. Yeah. So in, in sort of the, the P's that you're using here, well done preacher man on that, by the way, P P P L like the last one doesn't work. Prop yeah, pull true. point. Gotta, and then you have the light gets in. You got to work on that. Rick Warren would have fired you by now. Uh, for many things, for I'm a sure. lot of things, but for your lack of alliteration, would it definitely and Hawaiian about. shirts? No yeah. Hawaiian shirts. He's moved on, but I haven't. Yeah. So the prop <laughs> then in my life is the thing that I can see that is happening in front of me. That it's like, oh, what? It, it's the reaction that I have to something my kids do. It's the yeah. like way that I'm uh, anxious or, or at at the red light, the way that I'm handling that, or, or even like the, um, 
I've gone a couple of times to the grocery store and been like even a bit overwhelmed of anxiety as I get in there right now in the midst of all the COVID sort of stuff and like the shelves being empty and like, what is going on here? Would you say like those sort of moments without even like before I even recognize like, oh, that's this anxiousness that's there and where's that coming from? But just kind of that that moment, that's sort of the prop. Yeah. 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 What I would say is that what we found in, in this COVID time and I, I don't want to like diagnose you, but let me speak in more no, generality. Me, please, actually. Well, what sometimes what we experience in this COVID uh, world, which obviously it's my wife is a NICU nurse. It's heartbreaking that there are people who are dying from this. And for them, it is not a prop. It is a life and death reality. And, you know, my wife's a NICU nurse and there's you know babies that are born with COVID and moms who are on ventilators. And uh, obviously, you know, technology is helping and they're learning things every day. And uh, you know, even as simple as like turning patients over, over like on their stomach from instead of like being on their back, like that's helping. So, so great for, for those people dealing with a very real medical issue, none of which I am referring to in the following words I'm about to say, but for well done. You, you like the strong caveat. Well, I like the strong caveat of like, yeah, I actually care about people and yeah, no, like it's, recognize that. all right. Yeah. It, it's, it's a real deal. And, yeah. uh, I, I think my wife's hospital, they're, they're saying that, uh, of the people who are, are, are like taken in one out of like 86 people, uh, don't make it. And so that's a, that's a really big deal. Obviously that's a small sample size of people who actually go to the hospital and have sure. to like, okay, but not those people, not those people. For some of us, what COVID is doing is making us deal with what's underneath the surface and, and, and food is, can be a prop. Um, you know, the stats okay. or the, you know, the, the way media talks about this on all sides, can somehow be like this monster of uh, of control and underneath this is not, maybe not so much control but like mortality and underneath the surface like we are not as invincible as we want ourselves to be believe mm-hmm. you know how like when when Kobe Bryant died there are a lot of people felt like oh my goodness this feels surreal like Kobe Bryant isn't dead because we've gotten so used to an altered reality in which people live forever that yeah. people are invincible a, a young attractive, rich, athletic man is invincible in our culture. But what seems surreal is actually the truth. The truth is that we're dust and from dust we shall return. From dust we came into dust we shall return. We are a mist that's here today, gone tomorrow. And so what like I think COVID in terms of like TM, like the, the kind of like the the big power and principality that we're experiencing can be like this monster that says you are inven- you are not invincible you are mortal. You're not going to last forever. But I think God is in that and says, yes, you don't last forever, but I can be in this and I can bring light to you and remind you that that speaks to what your temporary status should do in terms of creating gratitude and the way that you should embrace the life, the years that you do have. Uh, Because I think the real issue is invincibility and our own mortality. And we don't want to deal with those things. Yeah. Well, it feels like it feels like to me, one of the things that you're getting at in your book is and, and maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm a little bit off on this and maybe I'm reading into it a little bit. But I feel like in some of the church culture that I have been a part of and exposed to, which which our church cultures are a bit related, but there's definitely been significant differences in them. I think in, in the church culture that I've been around and experienced in the um as you talk about these monsters, my experience has been the church essentially propagating a theology and a strategy of running from them. 
Yeah. And so the things yep. like, hey, choose faith over fear. Mm-hmm. It, it to me sounds like um, at, out of a well-intentioned like idea, but to me starts sounding like don't acknowledge what your fear is and don't sort of push into that further. Instead, yep. kind of cast that aside and people of faith don't have any kind of fear. So you run away from that. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. I, I, well, that's often very true for many people's experience. I've got a friend of mine who is uh, an oncologist. And so I, you know, I'll probably never see her professionally, partly because she's an OBGYN oncologist. But uh, she tells me that nothing, nothing on that joke. <laughs> I, that I was hurts. trying to let you keep going. I was no, I, I, I wanted a joke for that. Um, okay. uh, she, she's used that joke in uh, interviews in church before. And I was like, that's pretty good. I want to use it. It worked better for her, but whatever. She's also an oncologist, so she's smarter than me. But um, she's told me that sometimes dealing with patients who come from a Christian religious background, that they can be the most adamant about not actually dealing with the real grief in front of them. Hmm. That faith becomes like this block for them having to deal with reality because they have this, you know, I have faith over fear and, you know, science is the final, you know, answer for me. And, you know, God is a great physician. So, you know, God is going to heal me and that sort of stuff, which I, I, I do think miraculous healings happen. I don't think that, uh, that, that doesn't take place. Uh, but I also think the mortality rate for every person is a hundred percent and we are not going to live forever. And, you know, faith can be this sort of nice, um, numbing thing if we use it incorrectly. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking as you were describing that, I was thinking of a practice that my spiritual director was taking me through, um, of a sort of like, um, welcoming prayer. And essentially, Mm. like like one of the things that's been true in my life for a long time has been a real like, um, I'm an Enneagram three. And so along with that, I've got like, lack of empathy and lack of like being able to even like identify my emotions well. And so that's worked really good in the church culture. That's like, that's served me really well in all of that. And one of the things that she said to me early on in our meeting was she said, um, um, Mike, you're experiencing anxiety. And one of my experiences with anxiety has been when it's not sort of a clinical diagnosable anxiety is that there's often unresolved grief that's sitting beneath the surface that's wow. creating anxiousness. And you and you have been like running from that. You've been sort of pushing that under the rug. You haven't been dealing with that. And I want you to welcome that. And when you welcome it, you're not necessarily saying this is good. You're just saying this is true and you're acknowledging it and you're moving towards it to be able to figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not a part of any of my sort of Christian experience of my first, I don't know, 30 plus years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're probably rewarded for not doing that. You're because... 100% rewarded for not doing that. Because you, you know, you're oh, you're a great example of faith, and oh wow, they're they have a smile on their face, even though they're going through adversity. And it, in some ways, as a pastor, you are a pillar that props up like this tent of faith. And so, for you to be able to perform as a good pillar, everyone rewards you because you are serving an important role in their life, and they need you to be that. They don't need you to be healthy; they need you to be good. Oh, that's really good. Well. I, I think that idea of, it, you know, grief underneath it is that it's not it's not always good, but it's true. Like that's a different kind of function that I think a pastor 
can bring to the church is it's not always good news that we have for you, but it's, it's true. And yeah. 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 Oh, Luke, I'm, I'm really excited for this book. I want people to get it. I want people to stop running from, from this stuff and to move towards it and to, um, to find the light in the midst of it, to start seeing what's the thing behind the thing, like Mm -hmm. not just what's my reaction, but what's underneath it. I think that there's a richer experience of faith for us on the other side. And so I'm really, really grateful that you've, you've put this together and I'm excited for people to get it. Well, thank you for your kind words. Yeah. So again, very wise man, give us the title of the book. Tell us. We're I almost all... said God over good. Uh, that oh, is not the title of the book. God over good is good other... also. Befriend, befriending your monsters, and you can get it everywhere. Uh, there's audiobook on Audible. Um, yeah, it's it's on the it's on the internet. Grab you a copy. It's all uh, over the place. And I heard that you're not reading the audiobook. Is that true? Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, that's really from that. Yeah, so th- like that's. That- that's a great, we should, it's a great option if you've ever thought, man, Luke has some good insight, but his voice is so dang annoying. I can't ever get it. So Audible has solved that problem. I'm going to email that guy that left you a podcast review and tell him, <laughs> this, this is that? what we need to get. That's what he wants. That's, That's what, what he wants. wants. He, he now, wants the nuggets of Luke without the whole of Luke. Yeah, that's it. That's very awkward phrasing. Let's not me and that one too long. Uh, but can you imagine someone having, I haven't heard it yet, but like someone having to perform my sense of humor because you have to like, you're, you're reading like my terrible jokes in there and they're dry and sarcastic. And yeah, I've, I want to, I want to buy the audiobook just for that. Just to, I want to figure out where your jokes are and just fast forward it to those points and listen to just that part. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's a song lyric like within like the first page of the book that is he going to sing the is he going to sing the song is he going to say it? I don't know um, and is it a guy reading it? Yeah, I think his name okay. is Axel. Axel. I believe, I'm I'm hoping his last name is Rose, which would make it awesome. It would be, but I don't think it's Axel Rose. <laughs> uh, Luke, thanks for hanging out today. Befriending your monsters, everybody, you should check it out. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.